Welcome to New Piney Grove Baptist Church, where one of our core values is Christian education. Let's tune in to this week's message. For those of you that do get the emails, that on the path to email, you probably remember me saying that this series of messages that I'm going to be doing this month may be perhaps the most impactful message that I have ever done in 27 years of ministry. I gleaned a lot from my soon-to-be 55 years of marriage. And I know that uh, what Jeff was talking about, the coming together, it's not an easy thing to do. It's impossible in the flesh. And when we look at this from God's point of view, as Jeff pointed out, I believe some things will change. I have seen some things that are changing in our culture. And there are some things now that need to change in our church. And when I say church, I'm talking about the body of Christ. So let me give you some of my experience as it's filtered by the word of God. The words, will you marry me? have been considered words of joy for many young ladies who heard the young man of their dreams speak to them. The young man that she desired to spend the rest of her life with. For years in my day, marriage was considered a respectable institution. And this, this is really appropriate since the first institution that God ordained is marriage for the purpose of multiplying families on the earth. The second God ordained institution is the church, which is made up of those people we call families. That's in my day. But today, marriage is not looked upon as ordained by God. For me, today, marriage is an option. Some consider marriage outdated. From my perspective, couples are no longer ashamed of living together unwed. You see, many people view marriage as the same as engagement, or I should say engagement is the same as marriage. But can I, can I present something to you about this, these words, will you marry me? That's a proposal. A proposal is a question, is a hopeful request of that oneness, of that unity. But today... We got new proposals. That's not even a question. Let's move in together. 
Or it may be phrased like this. Let's, it's time to take our relationship to the next level. Now, I recently learned that the term that used to describe unmarried individuals, the word single, now applies to individuals who are not in a dating relationship. In other words, when the dating couple breaks up, they say, I'm single again. There's a song by a well-known popular artist. I think the title of it is the same as these words. Put a ring on it. And when I heard about it, I looked the song up, and, 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 and basically it says, if you like it, put a ring on it. Whoever wrote the song was saying that you, you're getting upset because these other guys are looking at me, and they, 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 they're showing interest in me, but if you like it, put a ring on it. And many have taken this the wrong way. They take it to me, if you are officially engaged, you can act like you're married. <laughs> Hear me now. And some of y'all might need to get a tape of this. <laughs> An engagement ring is a promise to a pledge, not permission for pleasure. I don't think y'all got it, so I'm going to say it again. An engagement ring is a promise to a pledge, not a permission symbol of pleasure. In other words, you go out living together and, 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 and you, you're doing things, you can show the ring. I'm, 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 yeah, okay. <laughs> this is the issue. We're viewing marriage from man's perspective and not God. And one of the reasons is because we don't know God's perspective. Again, I'm going to give you something from my own survey. We can look at all these other surveys, but this is Dave Wilcox's survey, something that I have done over the past month. I noticed how marriage is portrayed by the media, specifically HGTV, home and garden TV. We don't forget about the garden, but the H is home. According to my survey... 50% of couples who are buying homes are not married. 20% of unmarried couples live together with parental approval. Some are even living in the same house with their approving parents. 40% of married couples are of the same sex. And many of them are raising children of the opposite sex. These are ways the media portrays marriage. These views are distorted. They're a distortion of reality. These percentages that you see on TV is the exception, not the rule. But they have a design purpose behind putting it on TV. The purpose of these distortions is to condition the minds of our younger generation to believe that these are the norms. But they conflict and they're contrary to the word of God. And anything, y'all hear me? Anything other than what God says about marriage is the money. 
Y'all better get this. Anything other than what God says about marriage is the mind. And this fact can be sheerly, clearly seen in our text. Paul makes this point early on in chapter 1, verse 3 of the letter to Timothy. Paul is saying this to Timothy. I urge you, when you, when I was going to Macedon to remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. You see, Timothy pastored a church at Ephesus. And false teachers had come into the church with a doctrine that didn't line up with scripture. Ephesus. Now, some of y'all may remember the church at Ephesus. It's the one that we find in Revelation. But Jesus told John on the Isle of Patmos about the church of Ephesus. You've done a whole bunch of good work. He said, nevertheless, I got this against you. You left your first love. Now, we don't know exactly what the first love was, but it's possible it could have been dealing with the way God has ordained human relationship in marriage and the family. In chapters 2 and 3, Paul just gives some general instruction about the church. But then in chapter 4, he returns to the issue of these false teachers. So if you join me now in 1 Timothy Chapter 4, verse 1. This translation is going to be from the English Standard Version. Now, the Spirit expressly said that in the latter time, some, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirit and the teachings of demons. Y'all got that? So again, anything other than what the word of God says about marriage is the money. The word expressly means explicit. It's something that implies it's clearly seen. Something that's obvious. And the phrase latter times means a date in the future. But then he says that about the part from the faith, it means to renounce and abandon the events that Paul spoke of about them latter times. It's happening right now. People are falling from the faith. All you got to do is look around. This is Communion Sunday. Every time in Communion Sunday, we really be concerned about having enough elements to pass out. And it's not just New Pine Grove. With the exception of a few, and I say a few mega churches, membership everywhere is declining. Even our religious event immersives are declining. And I talk to other plastics, they're declining. And the reason that these few megachurches are being successful is a megachurch gives you the opportunity to hide. They don't ask nothing from you but your money. They make it convenient for you to give your money online, by credit card. You can come right in. You ain't got to go into the place of worship. They got machines out there. You can get your money. They don't know your name. And when you need something, you better call somebody else because they ain't coming. 
But being a part of a megachurch gives them a false sense of spiritual security. At least I go to church. You know, I, one thing I, I, I notice about a lot of times when I ask people what church they go to, they normally name one name, one church, one big church. Here. You know why I name that? Because I can't prove it. Because if I go to that one church, one pastor, he don't know it. And the reason I know people will put our name because I think it was about 10 years in ministry here, and I met some guy in the barbershop, and we were talking about something. I said, what church you go to? He said, New Piney Road. <laughs> and I asked him, I said, well, who's your pastor? He, uh, uh. One person even named the former pastor. The other person said, I don't know his name, but I know him when I see him. I want, I, want, I want to kind of go back to where it says, it says devoting themselves, because this plays right into it. Devoting themselves. They're devoting themselves. The, 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 the Greek implies this faithful attendance to an, an event and paying close attention to what's being said. Isn't it amazing that people will spend, spend big bucks to attend a marriage seminar or a parenting conference, but they won't come to church and learn what God says about family. Paul said these people are devoting themselves, that is paying attention faithfully to the deceitful, demonic teaching. The doctrine of these teachers that was influenced by the devil undermines the word of God. Look at verse 2. It says, through the insincerity of liars whose conscience are seared. A seared conscience means placing the hot iron on something. The thing about these teachers is that they didn't believe what they were teaching. The term insincerity, as it says in that, it means to be a hypocrite. In other words, they are lying without remorse because their conscience has been categorized. Now, for those that don't understand what categorized is, in the old days when, when, when the Western hero got shot, he put a hot iron on the wound. That stopped the bleeding, but it also made the skin insensitive to feel. It couldn't feel. So these teachers had unfeeling conscience about what effect it would have on the people, what they were talking. Y'all saw that last slide that Jeff had? Well, all those different things coming in and broke the part in. People are doing these things constantly, and they don't care. They have no feeling. They are teaching these false doctrines. Now, let's go back to Paul. What was Paul so concerned about what they were teaching? Verse 3 tells us, number one, who forbid marriages and require absence from food, that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. The word forbid means to cause something not to happen. It has the sense to prevent or to hinder. Paul was not only warning them, he's warning us that we are in a warfare and the enemy has sound the battle cry. The devil and his demon army are marching 
to attack us. It's not just a coincidence that his first target plan, his battle plan, is marriage. Not the church. Because he knows that he got marriage, he got the home, and he got the church. You see, marriage was instituted by God to procreate life. And the food was given to mankind to sustain that life. So he's attacking two things that God has ordained. And he is attacking marriage. When he attacks marriage, he's attacking God's authority, God's order, God's purpose, and God's people. The devil's strategy is to devalue the honor that God placed on marriage by using these deceptive tactics. This includes, y'all, y'all with me? Number one, media bliss. Social forum. TV commercials. Yeah, y'all gotta watch these commercials. And also these how-to books. Whenever you get one of these how-to books, do a research on the author. A lot of these people that are telling y'all how to raise y'all families don't have one. How can a man write a book about birthing a child? Food for thought. But not only is the devil using those tactics, he also used so-called friends. Some of your associate, well-meaning church members and family. Y'all know who I'm talking about. Those people that always want to get in your business. Who think they are expert on human relationship and marriage. I, it just amazes me how somebody can tell somebody else how to fix their marriage when their marriage is all to up. But what does the scripture say about marriage? What is his way? Let's look at some scripture. I'm going to just do some bullets here and then and Jeff don't cover some other. Here's what the Bible says about marriage. And y'all stay with me on this because I'm going to hit some of the same points that Jeff hit. Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. And the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Point one. Marriage was ordained by God to be between a man and a woman. That's what the scripture says. Number two, 1 Corinthians 7 and 9. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. King James stopped right there. The other version says with passion. Bullet number two. Marriage was ordained by God to satisfy our desire for 
physical intimacy into me to see. So if you can't hold back, go and get married. Number three, Hebrews 13 and 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adultery. Marriage was ordained by God to bring honor to his name by making physical intimacy holy. But those who participate in an act specifically ordained for marriage will be judged. That's what the word of God says. Number four. Ephesians 5 and 22 and 5 and 25. Wise Submit to your own husband as unto the Lord. Verse 25. Husband, love your wife for Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Marriage was ordained by God to be a reflection of Christ's relationship with his church. Now let's look at this passage a little closer and see if we can find this blueprint that Jeff was talking about. There are keys to this passage for both partners. To the wise, the key is as to the Lord. As to the Lord. Now, I'm going to give you an example, ladies. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, facing separation from the Father, which had never happened. In all eternity, facing death, pain, rejection by his own people. And as he struggled with this, and it was a real struggle, he did have a choice. I know some theologians think he didn't. He did have a choice. He said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. In other words, I don't want to go through this. And then somewhere in the midst of his crying out to God, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So, ladies, I got a question. Are you willing to give up your will for his? Well, Pastor, you don't know this man I'm married to. Apparently, you didn't know him either. <laughs> if you don't got you in a situation that way, you apparently you didn't know him either. Can you give up your will for him? To the men, the husband, the key phrase is as Christ. As Christ. An example would be Jesus hanging on the cross. Looking down on all them people that said, you be the Christ, come down. Soldiers that pierced him, all those people that laughing at him. All them people that spit on him, pulled out his beard. All the Jewish people say, yeah, you, you talk good, now come on down. And on the cross, 
believing, he looks down at him and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Men, can you humble yourself and forgive? She didn't know what she was doing. Well, she murdered. She didn't know. Apparently, she didn't know what she was doing. If you were a husband and she go out with another man, she didn't know what she was doing. Can you humble yourself and forgive? Because marry her means you're going to love her as Christ loved the church. Christ loved an adulterous church. Still do. Can you humble yourself <laughs> and forgive? See, the last part of First uh, Timothy 3, 4 said this. Those who believe and know the truth. And this, this will help you with the, with the as unto the Lord and as Christ. See, marriage, this is the truth, was ordained to be an eternal state of existence. Divorce wasn't in God's vocabulary. Mark chapter 10, verse 8. And the two shall become one, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. King James used the word sunder, put asunder, which means to cut in half. When you cut something in half, it dies. But the truth is, man wants to do his own thing. When things do not work out in our marriage, we want to fix it in the courthouse. But we came to the church to get married. I can't tell you how many people who've come to ask me to get married in the church. They got divorced. If there was one that came back and tried to get counseling from me, I don't remember. It may have taken four months of counseling, at least four sessions. But they not one time came back to me to get counseling. They went to the courthouse because it was easy. The truth. Malachi 2.16 For I hate divorce, said the Lord God of Israel, to him who covers his garment with throne, said the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. God hates divorce. But in his permissive will, he allows it with cause. Jesus was once asked about this sensitive question. People say, is it okay to get divorced? And Jesus said, not from the beginning. And they said this in Matthew, excuse me, Mark 10, 4. They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Now, why would he do that? Because the only way the man could get rid of his wife was either to kill her or to leave her somewhere. And it was done for the protection of the woman. In verse 
6 says, and Jesus said 4, rather. Jesus said, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote this commandment. Yes, yes, yes. Hold on. Don't go nowhere. Don't. Hold it right there. The Bible says God hates divorce. But that's not the only thing the Bible says God hates. So if you got divorced, just move on. Treat it like it is, something that God didn't like. Ask for forgiveness and move on. But listen to this in Proverbs 6 and 16. Don't miss this. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are abominable to him. Holy eye, lying tongue, a hand that shed innocent blood, a heart that devised wicked plan, feet that run to rapidly through evil, false witness who utter lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. Do you see divorce in there? Nowhere in there does he mention divorce. But these are things that the Lord hates. So before you come down on somebody that marriage didn't work, you better look at whether or not you are a liar. You better look at the fact and see whether you got pride. See if you don't gossip. See if you don't murder somebody with your tongue. They're all sins. And can be forgiven. But we need to look at it as this does not please God. And move on. They all can be forgiven. The fornicator, the adulteress, and the divorcee. Look at what First Chronicles sixteen thirty four said, and I'm closing up. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Now you 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 looking at one who was guilty of sexual immorality from pornography, fornication, and adultery. But his mercy endureth forever. This is a statement of God's commitment to us. Marriage is a commitment to a forever bonding which withholds just and due punishment. If we can incorporate this between husband and wife to where we are in a forever bonding which holds back just and due punishment, then we're doing what God calls us to do. And his mercy is available for each one of you today. Now, in a moment when I ask for an altar call, whichever category you fall in, homosexuality, fornication, or adultery, that's what the altar is for. Before I close, I want to deal with this thing about how married couples now are being torn apart. Next week, I'm going to be starting a procedure called 
Hyperbaric oxygen therapy. When I was experiencing radiation 18 years ago, the effect of the radiation destroyed my lower jawbone ability to renew good cells. And my dentist is concerned that uh, I have three teeth that needs to come out. They've been cracked because of the uh, effects of radiation. He's concerned that I will not heal properly. So they're going to perform what is called HBO, or herbaric oxygen therapy. And what this consists of is putting me in an environment where I got to go under pressure to heal my wound. And I'm submitting to you married couples that, that, that when you're going through something, God sometimes has to put you under pressure to heal that wound. Now for me, I got to go in there and for the first time lay in a tube for four hours. I'm supposed to have 10 of those. After the teeth extracted, I'm supposed to have 20 of the others. But each time I got to be put under pressure in a closed environment where I can't do nothing but sit there. Some of y'all need to just sit down and sit there and do nothing. But see, I got something better for you. Long ago, God sent his son in the form of human flesh. And, and he was put under pressure to heal your wound. Because the scripture says he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. And by his stripes, we are healed. Now, I don't want to go through what I got to go through. But the end result of me, my healing, I'm all right with that. And wherever you're going through in your marriage, if you get under pressure, just stay there until God finishes the process and he will heal your wound. Because his mercy endures. You got a wound. You got a wound. They need your healing. Make your way to the altar right now. Come on, y'all. You got a wound. Everybody on your feet. It ain't got to be with marriage. But you got something that ain't healing. Thanks for listening. We pray that you have been blessed by the message. Visit us on the web at npgbc.org for contact information service times or directions to our place of worship.